Complications in pregnancy and birth have risen in the U.S. during the pandemic. One study surveyed 1.6 million pregnant patients across more than 400 hospitals and found that pregnancy and birth outcomes are worse now than they were before the pandemic. Dr. Jose Figueroa is a senior author of that study. He's also a physician at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and an assistant professor at the Harvard School of Public Health. Welcome to Reset, Dr. Figueroa. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Eleni Segas, the CEO of the Preeclampsia Foundation. Hi, Eleni. Hi. Celebrities like Beyonce and Kim Kardashian and Mariah Carey, we've heard they've all been vocal about this condition. But for those who don't know, Eleni, what is preeclampsia? I think the simplest way to think about it is that it's a disorder of the placenta, which is the organ that forms during pregnancy and connects the mom and the baby. And that's how the baby's getting its nutrition. So when the placenta doesn't operate or function correctly, it has a, a, a negative effect on the mom, primarily by driving her blood pressure up, and other organs are also affected, and sometimes can have a, an effect on the baby by restricting its growth or in some way um, hampering its ability to, to grow effectively. And, and who normally gets preeclampsia? Anybody can get preeclampsia. Um, one of the things that we, we do a lot of education around at the Preeclampsia Foundation is that there are risk factors that can make you at higher risk for it. Um, things like being an older mom or having a high BMI or having a previous history of hypertension or preeclampsia. Um, there's a whole list of things that can put you at higher risk. But at the end of the day, anybody can get it, even somebody with no risk factors. Mm -hmm. Dr. Figueroa, the the study in particular, you looked at preeclampsia. What other conditions did you study? Yes. So as as noted by you, during the first 14 months of the pandemic, we saw a greater risk of multiple complications, including gestational hypertension, including preeclampsia, and also including bleeding, a postpartum hemorrhage as well. And unfortunately, the other thing that we saw was that the risk of maternal death increased from about 5.2 per 100,000 people to 8.7. So that's about a 68% increase in maternal death in the pandemic. Wow. Any surprises there to you? I think I was very surprised by these findings. You would think that in a country like the United States, uh, we, we, we spend a lot of money in our healthcare system. It's actually more expensive to deliver a baby in the United States than it was for a princess in England to deliver a baby. And even with the amount of spending, uh, wow. money that we spend, uh, we're, we're having these rates. So it's highly concerning, alarming rates across the board. And help and us understand. Say, Sasha. Yes, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, Sasha. It, it it was. I think the extent of it was surprising to me when I read the paper. But from our exposure to just thousands and thousands of women who who, who actually delivered and, and were pregnant during the pandemic, it didn't entirely surprise me that there was an effect because there was such a, a hampering of prenatal care and people not getting in to see their physicians mm-hmm. and also a lot of misdiagnosis. You know, everybody was so focused on COVID that when a woman would present with some concerning symptoms, everybody immediately went to COVID and then often delayed or misdiagnosis of preeclampsia or HELP syndrome, which, which might have uh, added to some of this. Yeah. 
Well, how much of a factor, Dr. Figueroa, is COVID as an illness here? Help us understand. Yeah, so in our study in the in, during the pandemic period, there was over 800,000 pregnant people. Only about 300 of them had COVID. So this is, as, as mentioned, uh, this is truly, a, uh, we believe, a major disruption of prenatal care. Across the country, we saw OB clinics close. We saw people weren't getting examined when they needed to be examined. Um, virtual care popped up in the country as fast as it could. But it is very hard to do a physical exam in virtual care. It's very hard to check blood pressures uh, during in, in a virtual visit. And there's fewer ultrasounds across the country to monitor how babies were doing. So, mm-hmm. so major disruptions in prenatal care, uh, likely the lead cause behind all of this. The other thing to note is that there was significant stress during the pandemic for everyone. We saw increases in financial strain, job mm-hmm. losses across the country. Pregnant people were really worried about getting COVID because of the known complications if you do get COVID with, with, with uh, what could happen, right. um, social isolation, and then obviously increased burden related to child care, schools being closed. So, so that all played into this, fortunately. Let's pick up where you left off, Eleni, and talk more about why preeclampsia is on the rise. Uh, and, and maybe you can talk about what, what the physicians that you work with are, are seeing anecdotally and how it compares to the data. Well, sure. Well, what's interesting is that uh, this study sort of marries well with another study that looked at trends in preeclampsia over a couple of decades Uh, three decades, really. And so what we've been seeing is a rise in uh, preeclampsia over the last three decades, probably due to a constellation of factors. Um, You know, the the profile of of the average mother getting pregnant has changed over time. Uh, Her health has changed going into the pregnancy over time. Um, I think all of those are probably some of the contributors to the rise in preeclampsia. That's that's sort of leading us into then this COVID pandemic where, as Dr. Um, Figura said, there's there really was an impact on prenatal care and access to, to women. One of the things that we introduced during this period was what we called the Cuff Kit Program to try to get blood pressure cuffs into mom's hands at home because their prenatal care visits were often happening virtually and they needed uh-huh. a way to, to monitor their own blood pressure at home. And the stress that, that, that was mentioned is not incidental. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who um, really felt that stress and, and then when they were going into their delivery, you know, sort of the end of their pregnancies and into their delivery, the ability to have support people with them, a partner or a doula or somebody yes. was severely limited. And I think all of that just contributes to a less than optimal healthcare system. Which is so important. I mean, I've, I've had two children and I can't imagine having to have done it alone. Oh, absolutely. You know, Dr. Figueroa, did the study find any racial disparities in who was experiencing complications during pregnancy and birth? Yes, so across most pregnancy-related complications, um, black birthing parents are much uh, are at much higher risk, including gestational hypertension, including preeclampsia, uh, including bleeding disorders. But the gap that we saw before the pandemic uh, remained and was stable during the pandemic. And so, you know, I guess it's not really reassuring that the gap still exists, but 
if, if we, at least they did not get worse. And, and so that, that's what we observed in our study. But still, important gaps remain that need to be resolved. So the, so the gap remained then? So it was still... Yes. They're still at higher risk, but the, the risk did not get worse. Uh, so everybody across the board experienced increased risk of these complications. And, and what's your uh, professional uh, observation as to why? Why the disparities exist in most cases? Well, I, I th- yeah, no. So I think if you if you look at the quality of care and also um, access to care uh, in in general, black birthing parents um, have more barriers that they have to that, that they have to overcome, and um, also the, there's concerns about the general quality of care that they receive in certain hospitals as well. And so there's a multiple, and then obviously the increased risk related to social determinants and, uh, of health, which, which we all know play an important role in, in influence on some of these outcomes. So there's a lot of factors at play here. As we, we talk about racial disparities, Eleni, how does all of this square with other research that you've seen? It's very consistent with some of what we've seen and also consistent with um where we can actually do something about some of these disparities. And I think one of the really interesting things about the paper is that the data was was analyzed for hospital deliveries, which means it's really looking at how are hospitals doing with outcomes, uh, with, with pregnancy deliveries. And what it contrasts with is some of the data coming out of the CDC which also goes beyond the hospital delivery into that postpartum period, whether it be days, weeks, or even up to a year after delivery. And there's a place that, you know, we, number one, yes, continue to see the disparities, but there's also more innovation happening right now as we're expanding Medicaid coverage and as we're looking at how do we not just drop mom as soon as she has the baby and mm-hmm. is gone. Like, what, are, what more can we be doing around um, postpartum clinics, around self-monitored blood pressure for the days and weeks beyond that. Um, If she's had preeclampsia, she's at higher risk for heart disease or cardiovascular disease in general. And there are things that we need to be paying attention to within months or even up to a year after she's had that baby. And these are all places where the disparities exist and there are things that we can do to try to increase that access to care even after she's had the baby. How about death during pregnancy or birth? What are the inequities there? Eleni? Oh, uh, meaning are are we seeing disparities in, in moms dying, not just getting preeclampsia? Yeah, so we're seeing both. We're seeing that... Um, that black mothers, Native Americans are not only getting preeclampsia at higher rates, but they're having some of the worst outcomes. Now, the the number of moms dying in absolute numbers is inexcusable because even one mom dying is too many. But right. I think they become almost the the iceberg. You know, we talk about the iceberg principle and like, you know, the part that's showing above the water is the moms dying and that's unacceptable, but even more unacceptable is the huge amount of morbidity. So mm-hmm. near misses, uh, moms getting really sick, uh, a lot of the other bad things happening short of death. And the numbers are huge. Goodness. And we are seeing disparities even in the morbidity area. So what do we need to, to start curbing these numbers that we're seeing with 
preeclampsia, Eleni? Well, I think it's a combination. I mean, I'd love to say that there's like one, uh, you know, magic solution. If you just flip this switch or do this particular protocol differently, that it's all going to be better. And it really isn't. It's it's multiple systems working together to to change the trajectory. There are things that need to happen at the hospital and provider level. There are systemic things that need to happen um, at the patient level, which is really where we're operating, mm-hmm. our main message is what I call the three deadly Ds, which is delay, denial, and dismissal. And as moms, we need to be heard. And that that is historically one mm-hmm. of the areas that um, that women of color have traditionally talked about not feeling heard. We, we see that across the board, by the way, but if it's happening even more so to moms of color, yeah. that's a problem, and that's an area where, where we need to make some improvements. And the whole CDC Hear Her campaign, we participated in the development of that campaign because we, over and over, were hearing moms saying, I tried to explain what I was feeling, and I was being dismissed, or I was, these symptoms were being yeah. brushed off. It wasn't being uh, attended to. And so that listening piece, not dismissing mom, is is one area that, from our perspective, so important. Yeah. yeah. And, and but before I let you both go, Dr. Figueroa, I, I know you've got a personal connection to this research, right? Yes. Yes. So actually, uh, my my wife um, was hospitalized January of 2021 so in a hospital that is in this data set, um, uh, and she actually had developed gestational hypertension. And then after our baby girl was born, she unfortunately developed uh, postpartum hemorrhage and lost a lot of blood and uh, and had to go to the OR twice. There was a question of whether they would do a hysterectomy to stop the bleeding. Yeah. And unfortunately, everything went well at the end of the day. And, and now she's pregnant with our second. Oh, but, wonderful. You know, it, was, it was a motivation for this paper. It was just, you know, were we... You know, if this happened to us, and I'm sure it happened, and we, you know, we delivered at one of the, you know, top hospitals for mm-hmm. OB, and if it happened to us, it, it, I'm sure it could happen to anyone else. And yeah, and um, yeah, very sort of scary situation. We're a much better place now, but I'm so glad. Congratulations. Thank you. Dr. Thank Jose you. Figueroa is an assistant professor at Harvard School of Public Health, and Eleni Segas is the CEO at the Preeclampsia Foundation. Thank you both. Now let's turn to an OBGYN for her perspective on the ground. Dr. Melissa Simon is the vice chair for research in Northwestern Medicine's Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She also oversees the Center for Health Equity Transformation at the Institute for Public Health and Medicine. Welcome to Reset, Dr. Simon. Thanks so much, Sasha, for having me. I know you've been listening along. We just heard from two guests, you know, pregnancy and birth outcomes. They've worsened in this country during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I wonder what you and your colleagues have seen. I'm not surprised. Um, I've been practicing obstetrics on the on the ground, on the front lines throughout the pandemic, and indeed, uh, it has been quite morbid with respect to maternal uh, death rates, maternal severe morbidities, 
that have happened during the pandemic. Um, we know with all of the research, including that of Dr. Figueroa, um, that COVID really did impact pregnancy in many ways and with poor outcomes, both for the pregnant and birthing person and also for the neonates. So um, this is not surprising. Yeah. How, how do you account for this rise in negative outcomes? Well, again, um, we know that the coronavirus or the co- that causes COVID-19 uh, does bind preferen- preferentially on blood vessels, can cause inflammation, and especially around the placenta. And when the placenta is such an essential organ for pregnancy, for a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby and mother that, you know, it's not surprising uh, the findings that we have seen in many uh, published research literature around the impact of COVID and the coronavirus on the placenta, which has impacted poorer outcomes. And we should mention there's a relationship between access to abortion care and pregnancy Mm. outcomes, right? For sure, 150%. So what what is worrying is, especially during the pandemic, but even now with um, all of the rulings uh, that have recently come out, um, having even differential access to abortion care puts uh, pregnant and birthing persons at higher risk for severe uh, morbidity and mortality due to pregnancy. Pregnancy is not a benign state. It is wonderful and for the most part, thank goodness, uh, pregnancy outcomes are wonderful. But for some people, it is dangerous to be pregnant. And having the option to have access to abortion care um, is really essential, especially for some people who get Mm -hmm. pregnant. Yeah. And and so with post-Roe abortion bans already in place, doctor, around the country, do do you anticipate pregnancy and birth outcomes getting worse instead of better? Absolutely. Absolutely, Sasha. Um, Maternal mortality is going to go up. Um, Severe maternal morbidity is going to rise as well. Um, Look, last week, I unfortunately was involved in a case where there was a massive amniotic fluid embolism to the mother and the mother passed away, unfortunately, despite all of our best efforts. And there was uh, several teams and she was put on ECMO immediately in the operating room. But after uh, five days, she just couldn't survive any longer, despite all of the efforts. Um, And so these conditions are going to increase as we move forward in a post-Roe state, um, a post-Roe country. Uh, But in particular, I am super worried um, about health equity issues. So the disparities already exist between Black, Latino, and Native peoples or Indigenous populations, American Indians, um, uh, uh, compared to white, uh, non-Hispanic people in this country with respect to maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity. And these numbers are going to rise. Um, Abortion care is already an access to care in general is already differential between these groups. And having these post-Roe rulings, uh, in addition to the rising maternal mortality and severe maternal morbidity, it's really um, scary time, actually. And I just hope that as we move forward, we can do better with respect to caring for all of our pregnant and birthing individuals. This is this is such uh, disheartening information to hear. Uh, I can't imagine your world, as you talked about that patient that 
recently died. What's it like for you, Dr. Simon? It's it's rough, um, but thankfully, I would say I'm very privileged. I work in a, a wonderful, resourced healthcare center, academic health institution at Northwestern. I work in a state of Illinois that is a um, haven state. Mm-hmm. Um, so our we do not have strict abortion laws, uh, and uh, although we are surrounded by states that are um, that have very strict abortion bans. And um, I just am very privileged in that sense. As you mentioned, the preeclampsia and in these other conditions, they're very scary. So leave us with this. What warning signs should pregnant people watch for? Um, for what kind of conditions? Any like preeclampsia conditions? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important to understand that if you have high blood pressure already, before 20 weeks of gestation, so what we would call chronic high blood pressure or chronic hypertension, that's already, uh, you should already have a heightened sense that you need to be monitored closely and get into prenatal care right away because some people don't enter prenatal care until much later in the pregnancy. And that always worries me because they may have undiagnosed high blood pressure, diabetes, or some other condition that could actually impact the pregnancy and the outcome and the baby. Um, So it's important to understand that. Other warning signs though, um, blood pr- uh, for high blood pressure is a headache, uh, seeing spots or blurred vision. Um, sometimes we say right upper quadrant pain, so like right where your liver would be, pain right there, so under your right rib cage. Um, things like that, uh, swelling up a lot, so more than just a little bit of swollen feet and hands like is normal during pregnancy, but really swelling up, that's a, 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 a warning sign. Um, understanding if you do have high blood pressure already, about one in four people with high blood pressure will develop preeclampsia approximately. Yeah. So wow. those are all important things. We'll have to leave it there. Dr. Melissa Simon is an OBGYN at Northwestern Medicine. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.